Welcome to God's Love Revealed Podcast. I'm Ellie Caswell, along with Jeff Williamson, and I want to share with you how I went from self-punishment with no true identity to a mutual knowing in Christ and finding an eternal identity in Him. Jeff is a licensed professional counselor with a master's in marriage, family, and child therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary. He's been in practice for over 20 years and specializes in intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy. God has taught him profound spiritual dynamics which have led believers to a true freedom. It's our hope to reveal the truth and life of God's love manifested through Jesus. Psychological, emotional, and spiritual freedom is possible through the true knowing of Christ. In this podcast, I want to highlight allegiance of the heart in the sense of who your master is in life by focusing on the topic of money. So in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your body is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So to make it clear, the way I'm interpreting this, we'd have to picture being up on a mountain with Jesus and then looking down from that mountain onto base camp. And in that camp, you have different tent sites. Some of them are very put together. They're very wealthy. They have the right kind of tent. They have the right kind of uh, they have the right kind of everything. And then also in base camp, you see very, quote, humble campsites. They, uh, they don't really care what kind of tent it is. They don't care what kind of things they have. What I'm trying to point out is neither of those in base camp are correct. That the one that would be up on the mountain with Jesus in this life, like a foreigner in this world, would be the one who's eternally minded because they're walking with the eternal one. It doesn't really matter in the temporal sense, which here I'm highlighting as base camp itself, what that base camp looks like. That That's not the meaning of this passage, that the people with the more humble campsites are somehow more religious or they're somehow more anything than the ones with the decked out ones, because they're still serving themselves by being in base camp with that mentality. They're still about this world. Um, and it's no particular big thing for a Christian to say, well, I want to live in this humble sort of way. I don't want the decked out campsite. Um, I don't want to get embroiled in the things of this world. Well, 
there are plenty of non-believers who have that same mentality. There are plenty of people who say, I don't want, you know, um, to go serve money in that sort of sense. I want a, you know, simple life. There's nothing to that. That's not the point. The point here of this passage is to be looking for eternity. And the only way that you're going to be looking to eternity as a person is that you're with the eternal one. That when you're on that mountain with Jesus, you aren't shying away from your inheritance. You aren't shying away from what will be there. What you're saying is the whole base camp, the whole lot of it is a joke. Because even from that perspective, if you're up on the mountain and you're looking down at the thing, these are tent sites. I don't care how impressive the tent site is. I don't care. Like, it could be the most incredible tent anybody's seen. It could have the finest stuff. It's a tent. It's nothing compared to what is going to be waiting for us when we go home. So again, what I'm trying to highlight is that mentality, that correct mentality that Jesus is talking about is the person who wants to be in the Mary position. They're the person that wants to be at the feet of Jesus. They don't want to be in this Martha mode, um, caught up in trying to figure out which kind of campsite is right or wrong. It's, that's not the point. Or another imagery we use is being out on the water. The only one that's going to have that correct mentality is thinking about things the way that God thinks about it from his point of view is you got to be where God is. From that point of view, you're thinking about eternity. You're rejecting the entire base camp, not one type of camp or the other. Uh, a parable that highlights this is the father returns. He says, the banquet feast is ready. You know, the son is going to be the king. You got the people in the alleyways. We'll say they're the people with the not good tent sites. And then you got the people who say, you know, well, I got to sell this piece of property. I got to, I just, please excuse me, I just got married. We'll say they have the good tent sites. Well, there's another group, the virgins with their oil, they're ready to go in. They're just ready to go they're, because they're already with him. They believe and live in him. So when they when he shows up physically, they're already with him in spirit and truth. They're, they've already rejected the entire base camp. That's the ones who are serving God in this passage. These are the ones, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Jesus is not some hippie, you know, in base camp who has this humble little abode. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who Paul is. That's not who the prophets are. They are up on the mountain, so to speak. They are with God outside of the whole thing, um, passing through this realm into something different. And that's kind of what I was processing in my own mind, too, was like, yeah, anyone could say, anyone that leads like a humble life could say, like, oh, I don't care about all those things or, you know, those things are important to me or I don't want that experience for my children. I want them to live like a simple life. And you could look at them and be like, oh, wow, they must, they see what's most important and they, um, you know, we should just admire them or even like the people that serve and are very like generous with their money mm -hmm. 
I've known a lot of people in the church that are like that. And I I feel like there's a sense of pride that's there with that too. Uh And it's always hard. And I kind of have had like this attitude of like, um, I kind of like cringe at a little bit because I'm like, yeah, but what's the point of doing any of that if it's not this eternal mindset? That's right. Um, I mean, we could say to your point there, it's good if we dramatize it. Like, we're not going to say, like, if somebody's got, let's say, a rich campsite in the base camp and, you know, they give to the poor and they do this and they, you know, they give these things. Um, and that's fine and that's good. Okay. And then, um, you know, and you got this other base camp uh, tent tent site over there and they don't have much money. So the richer one gives to the lesser one. And I mean, that's good. But what it brings to my mind is like um, when Mary of Bethany, you know, the same Mary that was seated at Jesus's feet, she takes this costly per- perfume, right? And she pours it on his head. So to use our sort of imagery here, she takes it and then she she's out up on the mountain with Jesus to use this imagery to make it clearer. Here, I'm saying something in an imagery that shows the heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. So her heart is out there. Okay. So she pours this costly perfume. Well, what did the disciples say? You know, you could have given that yeah, to the poor. Right. Like, wouldn't the, the better thing been, they're saying, is if you have this costly perfume uh, in your tent site, the better thing, Mary, would have been to you sell that and give that money to the poor camp. Yeah, and also because that's that is what was one of Jesus's commands too was to sell all that you have yes. and give to the poor. Right. And so yes, you would think that they had some legitimacy in asking that. Like, why shouldn't she? Why right. shouldn't she do that? Right. Right. Uh, Jesus from the mountaintop is using a lot of things that we see in the temporal realm, but he's using it sort of as a. Um. Something to show the heart. I mean, if we go up onto the mountain with him, we anoint him with perfume. We say, you know, we are with you no matter what. Then we are selling everything we have for the poor because, but he means poor in spirit, I think, first and foremost. People in base camp are poor spirit. They don't see the truth. We should be a light up on the hill over the town. That would be to the rich and to the poor. Um, but you know what? Like Leo's in uh, Revelation, Jesus says, you know, to Laodicea, you say you're rich, but really you're poor. You're really poor and naked. Mm. You know, base camp, you're not what you think you are because you're just comparing yourself to your neighbor. But from the point of view of up on the mountain from Jesus is you're poor and naked. You know, so yeah, we should be going up into his presence and then serving, saying the truth, being a light. Because what, see, if I'm up here on this base camp, uh, I'm sorry, if I'm up here on this mountain with him, right? And we're both up here. Wouldn't all we could say to anybody in base camp, whether they have a rich campsite or the, whether they have a poor one, is, Come over here. This, right. It doesn't this, matter no. what you have. It doesn't matter. Right. Just come. Right. And it is location, but it also, the whole image is just to show 
the heart. Share the heart. Yeah. The parable we've mentioned it before. The father says the banquet feast is ready. Um, come. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the ones that are already in the sort of temporal place of the heart, that they're already in this temporal realm, they're already with him. When he shows up physically, they're already there in a sense, because their heart is already there. That group is already in. Well, how's the parable go? He says to the rich tent sites, it's ready, let's go. And they say, well, uh, I have a piece of property. Uh, you know, I have, I just got married. Okay. And, and then the father's angry and he's saying, okay, well, go to the poor tent sites, you know, the alleyways, you know. And invite them, okay, because this place needs to be full. Well, there is a group that was already there. Mm. The group that's already there is the group that is, they forsook this world. They, 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 they say, you know, and the other one that you know, is really confused is the rich young ruler. It's not, Jesus isn't, see, Jesus is up on the mountain say, and the rich young ruler says, well, you know, I want to follow you. It has nothing to do that he has a rich campsite. It's that he knows that that that's what that guy's about. That right. guy is not going. It's an allegiance of the heart issue. And we're all we're all giving up something, whether you live in that poor that's right. camp or you live in that rich camp. Great point. You're still giving up something. Something, and I don't. There's a cost. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, well, is the cost? Are they equal? Does mm-hmm. it matter if they're equal? It doesn't because it's like we've all we all build our own kingdoms around our worldview, right? right? It's like we all have our idols. We all have something that we cherish, and that we we all have an an identity. And that's something. right. And what would you say, just in your opinion, you know, from your own experiences? I think it's an interesting thing you just said. Let's take the more humble. Um, or even destitute tent site, what do you see that they would have to lay down? Like we know what kind of, like you, know, you can't serve God in money, right? So we'd say the rich one, yeah, that is a content, that is an issue. It's obvious. It's yeah. obvious that they would be like, oh man, I don't know if I want to give up my tent site. You know, security. The security, the reputation. That was mm-hmm. a little bit easier, but... There is something with everybody in that camp. So what do you think it is that you've seen that people don't want to give up who maybe do live more humbly? They're not so... Well, I've, I noticed, I mean, there's, a, there's just like a trend, like in the Christian community, it's like, oh, it's your family, it's first. Like, mm-hmm. your family... Um, your church, Christian values, um, fitting into you know, fitting mm-hmm. into whatever box that you choose to be a part of, yeah, your values. Um, so they're with they, you know, they're they got this little family. It's humble, like a good Christian values. Anybody would say, "Oh, this, I feel comfortable at this campsite." Yeah, it's almost like they don't see their independence as a person in their relationship yes. to Christ. They well think said. that. Um, their family or their spouse or their church. It's like everything has to come with them. Like everything, yes. you know, I can't, Leave I either have to die. be, yeah, I have to be like this kind of parent or this kind of spouse or this kind of like person in the community or in my church. And I have to fit into whatever like values, you know, support this role. And instead of seeing yourself as like, 
just an individual who can choose the kind of, um, I don't know, mindset that's right. that they want to have. That's right. So let's portray that. And we have this campsite. We know them, right? Um, it They kind of, and I mean it in the true sense, like they kind of do everything right. Like, they, you know, they, they're praying and, you know, at the campsite. There's an atmosphere of godliness there. The children are well-behaved. They love God. Well, you hear that. I never really exactly know what people mean by that. In the camp side, they love the Lord, but I'll leave that aside. But so they're doing that. And then Jesus says to, let's say, one member of that family, let's say the mom. Jesus is up on the mountain. And he says, come and follow me. And she says, well, what about my children? And, you know, what about, and he says, the, the most incredible thing, he says, hate your mother, hate your father, hate your spouse, hate your child, yea, even your own life. There he's talking about base camp. Uh, and, and if, or else you're not fit to be my disciple, which would be and, sanctification yeah, or salvation. Right, and that's the thing that I think people like don't really understand or there's disagreement and it's like, People say, oh, he's just talking about salvation. Like, of course, like you wouldn't not sh- like be a believer because your spouse isn't a believer, your child, like, of course. Um, and then I think, I don't know if we want to go into like this, the practical side or like what that really means to, you know, forsake all those people to follow right. Christ. Right. Up the mountain and to leave camp. Like, what does that change, really? Well, you know, it's, um, I'm going to say sadly ironic as you sit up on the mountain and then you look back at this thing. There's some sad ironies. I've heard that the second most popular religious book next to the Bible is uh, Pilgrim's Progress. It's revered. It's an incredible book. Okay, let's just look at what Pilgrim's Progress is saying. There's this guy, Christian. He's living in the city of desolation. That's like base camp. He leaves behind his wife and his family suddenly to go to this place, the celestial city. Let's call that being up on the mountain in Christ. Okay, whether he's saved or not isn't really the issue because maybe he gets saved as he puts down his burdens at the cross, okay? But we know he goes on this journey. Let's call that sanctification. He has to go through all these pitfalls. He never looks back. It's like he's leaving Sodom and Gomorrah and everything in it to go be a light up on the hill. We revere this book. We say, oh, this is incredible. Okay, but. Let's be honest. If we're all in base camp, we're all in the city of desolation, Ecclesiastes, and some person says, I'm going up onto the mountain, I'm leaving my kids, we'd say, oh, what a deadbeat. We'd say, what is this guy doing? Okay, now I'm not talking about people that, you know, leave their campsite and go to some other campsite and all this kind of stuff. I'm saying that this person went up onto the mountain. Let's be honest. We'd be like, what? That that No, that's not right. But you know what? That is right. That's what the prophets did. Now here, I'm talking about the heart. I'm not talking so literally. I'm talking about the heart, okay, because we're in it, but we're not of it. Okay, that's what the prophets did. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. And what Christian is doing in that story is correct in terms of discipleship. Now what happens? In the second half of the book, there's this figure called Greatheart. 
something like that, right? He goes and he leads the wife and children along the same journey to the celestial city. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of faith on Christian's part. I'm going to go seek first. But if Christian didn't go up into that mountain place, would his wife and child have ever gone? No. So in faith, he goes, he makes Christ his first love. God then sends this great heart figure who gets the wife and child because now they're ready and he leads them. Mm. I think it's pretty ironic and sadly comical that the prophets did this, Jesus did this, Paul did this, Moses did this. They go up onto this mountain place, so to speak. They leave it all behind. We revere them. But then from a base camp mentality in the here and now, we say that's insanity. Yeah. And something that just came to mind is a lot of, I mean, a lot of those people you mentioned, that was before Christ came. So they didn't have the Holy Spirit with them. And so I think that's another thing that people would use as like an excuse to kind of like, to not like, like they would be, they would say, well, yeah, back in those times, like Abraham and back in the Old Testament, things were a lot more like outward, you know, and it was like a display because they just had God. They had that communication with God. Fair argument. And I'm glad you're saying that to anticipate. But what about Jesus full of the Holy Spirit? What about Paul? Right. What about the disciples once they, once the Pentecost happened? They did the same thing, but I'm glad mm-hmm. you said that. Mm-hmm. What about Stephen? We don't know what these people left behind. What did Jesus say? He, you know, and Peter says, but we've left everything. Wife, home, children, right? And he says, I forget what Jesus says, something like, uh, everything you have will be given back and multiplied. But there he's talking about eternity, Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so Paul, Peter addresses that specifically. Okay, but yeah, even with the Holy Spirit, what the disciples did this—that's the life they lived. It's a Christian type of life that puts Christ first. There is always a cost, and in that regard, I like what you're saying about, let's say, the more humble abodes, because we'd say the disciples were fishermen. These are probably humble tent sites, right? Mm-hmm. But they had to leave wife, children. They had to leave behind. Right. Jesus got flack for this. When he's off serving, his mom and brother comes. And, you know, I think in the community, it's kind of like, where where's Jesus gone? He's the oldest son. Like, what's he doing? Right? And, he, and what does Jesus say? Who's my mother? Who's my brother? Do you see these here with me who are around me on the mountain, so to speak? Heart, right? Mm-hmm. This is my mother. This is my brother. This is my sister. I mean, if you're in base camp, and you don't understand this heart allegiance thing, that could really look really, really wacky right? and weird. Yeah, right. And that, that brings up like another question, yeah. which is what is keeping the majority of Christians, believers who apparently, you know, love God, love the Lord, obviously, I mean, they want the best for their family. They want the best for their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, like what's keeping them from taking that step or like going this far in their like love for Christ? I mean, maybe they've never heard it the way that we're, you know, putting it in this podcast right Uh now. Um, 
but like they shouldn't have to hear this podcast right have that desire so right. like what's is it just like our would you say it's like our culture and like the christian culture mm-hmm. or even just the world's mentality like that god like wants to bless your life here so like you should be working towards having you know um peace and like a unified family and all these like physical outward signs that any person would want whether they're a believer or not whether they're a mormon they would want the same thing so like what's really separating you from you know verse 24 of matthew 6 no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. I mean, the way Jesus is saying this is so black and white. You know... Um, well, yeah, and you're saying, like, the masters. The master is is not just, like, money. The master can be serving something that's... Um, well, you know, I think if the master's money, you're serving yourself. Right. Ultimately, in base camp, no matter how much you try to say Jesus, 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 your location is serving yourself. Right. That's the master. That's the master. Right. It's not just like right. money. Yeah, right. right. Uh, the eye, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What does this mean? If your eyes are set on money, if your eyes are set on your campsite, and this is what we do as people, let's be honest, you know, what neighborhood is this going to be the safe place for my kid, da, 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 even if it's well-meaning, how do I compare to my neighbor? We do this all the time, let's be honest. That's a dark uh, light that you're looking at of envy, Um, and your faith is really in your money. Because you're saying, well, this neighborhood will protect me. And then we justify it in, um, in a camp site mentality. We say, well, the, you know, God's just trying to bless me. God's just giving me provision. Look what God's done for me. Okay, well, if your eye is on the light of the world, which means you're out on the mountain with him, seek him first and all things will add it onto you. It's a lot of faith to say that Jesus will protect my children. Jesus will provide for me every day. Jesus will be my supply. You know, it's so easy to do it via money and say, you know, via money in base camp, Jesus is providing for me. Yeah. and But I have heard, I mean, that's like the common thing to say. Like people will say that, be like, you know, I don't, I trust that the Lord's going to protect You're my right. kids. Like people say that. Yes. But then, you know, an excuse that they have for not like giving up this world is well, like God wants me to be happy. God wants to bless me. If I'm like walking with him, you know, he is going to give me the desires of my heart or he's going to bring unity to my relationships or, um, and I say that's a misinterpretation of the scripture It's a convenient one from base camp. And what I mean by that is this. They say, if I do, quote, righteous living in my base camp, if I have Christian values, if I do things a certain way, God is going to bless me in my base camp. Well, they're like, well, what does it mean? I'd say, well, I interpret it way differently. It's true what he's saying, but not the way you're interpreting it. If I leave base camp all the way around, okay, and I say, 
that just represents the temporal realm. It just represents Ecclesiastes. It just represents the city of desolation. I go up onto the mountain with him. I make him my first love. He means to bless me. He means to protect me. I can say the same exact same things that you're saying in that scripture from up there on the mountain. Is it true that he wants to bless me? Is it true that he wants to bring me joy? Yes, but it's the joy that comes by being in his presence. It's the joy and the hope of eternity. Mm-hmm. It's not, right. oh, I, I almost earned it. If I have this kind of like righteous living in my base camp, in a way he's blessing me because my campsite looks good. Mm-hmm. That's a law mentality. Mm-hmm. Walking or even saying like I'm walking in the will of God. That's right. Absolutely. You know, and the evidence of my joy and everything else when I'm up on the mountain with him isn't measured by like my tense sight. How do you even measure that he's blessed me or prospered me or anything like that by by how great my tense sight is? No, by what's inside me, the joy, the hope that's in my heart, um, my eyes being set on eternity, my eyes and ears opened to the incredible inheritance that is waiting for you. Would your eyes even see the inheritance of Father? If the Father God put that inheritance in front of you, would you even see it if you were in a base camp? Would you even know what it is? You wouldn't even see your inheritance, which is stored up for you in heaven, if you weren't out there in Christ. So yes, you're blessed. Yes, you prosper. But how are we measuring that? Inside or outside? And everything with this temporal realm, everything in base camp is always measured externally, mm. not internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of what? Light. Mm-hmm. Okay. For me, right there, your whole body will be full of light. Is there any greater gift you could have in this world? Then your whole body being full of light? No. <laughs> that light that's inside you would give, make your eyes see better. That's what it's saying. It and will be a light for others. It will be a light for others. You know, are we going to presume, we're in base camp, right? And we say, well, the Lord has given me this tent and my children are healthy and all this stuff. It's good. We're going to say that's better than having your whole body full of light? Well, I'll tell you, if you want your whole body to be full of light, you better be out abiding in the presence of the light who is up on the mountain not and base camp, mm-hmm. which is full of darkness. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jesus came into the world, but the darkness never recognized the light. Mm-hmm. He's not walking around base camp in that way, you know, adding to our lives. That's what he's doing. He's in this world, but not out of it. It's calling us out of the darkness into the light. He is the light that came into the world. So if I'm abiding in him, I am then full of light. There is nothing more prosperous than that. That light points me to eternity. It opens my eyes to see eternity and my eternal inheritance. You can only serve one master, either him, the light up on the hill, or basically yourself. When he's talking about money, he's basically yourself, right? Right? There's only two ways. He's making it clear. And then in the first part of it, here's this promise. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, base camp, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
tents, base camp, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart, inside, light, heart. My heart is with Jesus Christ up on the mountain. I know that as I abide in his eternal presence, he is the eternal king. All the things that he has for me is stored up in his eternal kingdom. I don't have to worry about it being taken away. Mm -hmm. It's there. It's always there for me. Doesn't this passage make it perfectly clear? But you see, you can only see it if you're up in the right campsite. You'll never see it from the campsite that's down at base camp. Right. And I, and and that and I think that that's okay that that's our motivation to be on the mountain is to increase that clarity of our internal mindset, of our eternal perspective. Like what else should be our motivation? Jesus was always pointing towards eternity and our eternal home and um and let's like into your point, sorry to interrupt, but just to highlight what you're saying, like, did he have a campsite in base camp? No. He has no place to lay his head. That's not a poor hippie campsite. You hear people say that. Like, you know, no, he's up on the mountain with no place to lay his head. If I love what you're saying. If the Lord came through and just passed through this thing like a foreigner, never had a campsite in the temporal realm of any kind, he was just out in the wilderness with his head on a rock, if he showed us that's the way, then shouldn't we be there with him? Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast to be insightful, please subscribe to our show and share with someone who would enjoy listening. And we look forward to meeting here with you again soon.